Hello and welcome to The School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we investigate the things you're too proud to admit you know nothing about. I'm your host woman, fake plastic tree, Hannah Varrell. Joining me is abandoned treadmill, Alexandra Haddo. You can find me under two winter coats and free stuff on Gumtree. And ensuite bathroom, Carolina Donahue. We put these walls up to pretend you're not shitting two feet from your own bed. Today is an interior design special where we're talking about the mysteries of the rug you just can't escape from and why conservatories with a preserve of the mid-90s. Also, Alex is telling us about skincare, so it's pretty much an issue of Red Magazine over here. Now, on with the show. So Hannah, you've been crunching the numbers on how many people own a certain type of rug this week, is that right? Yes, I'm an absolute rug cruncher, Alex. Are um, you? <laughs> you love to crunch a good rug. I'm I'm always crunching rugs. Rug cruncher! Love it. <laughs> Over the past kind of few months, I have become obsessed with this rug. Um, it's kind of uh, a white cream colour, kind of shaggy, like loose pile rug um, with black lines on it in a geometric kind of diamond pattern. Um, I feel like hopefully you both know what kind of rug I'm talking about. I'm looking at one right now because I own two. <laughs> two? Yeah, I, the one Hannah's describing is exactly the one I'm looking at now, which is in my new living room. And the one that everybody has, which is like not as geometric, it's kind of slightly more wiggly lines, but it's mm. the same sort of premise as in my room. Yeah, so I'm a cliche. Yeah, well, well basically I noticed this rug appearing everywhere um i think mostly because my friend who did uh who's a yoga teacher who did zoom yoga classes had the rug so every week i'd kind of be staring at her doing like these lovely yoga poses on her rug while i was like you know struggling to touch my toes and uh and from there it just it's like confirmation bias isn't it it just it just was everywhere especially all over instagram yeah it is always all over instagram i feel like it, it often accompanies this certain kind of um sort of chubby scalloped pink chair mm, do you know yes. what i'm talking about the, the pink chair it's a bit like a shell yes i'm sitting on the couch version of that right now <laughs> <laughs> i feel so seen so my question basically was just why do we all have this rug and how did it how did it become so prevalent how did we get to the stage where the rug has like is in every single house basically and alex you've got two of them it just seems um it, it seems to have happened like overnight almost yeah i know i've fallen into the marketing trap yeah but like it's it's it goes so beyond the trap alex like it's fascinating um so the first thing i did when i was investigating the rug as i'm just going to call it it's just the rug capital t capital r yeah um was i posted a load of pictures of it on instagram stories and was like do you have this rug if you have this rug tell me about it when you got it were you just generally looking at rugs and then you saw that one and you were like that's nice or were you looking for that rug and most of pe- most of the people who responded said they wanted this rug specifically which i thought was really interesting because i've never i don't know i've never really thought about rugs to be honest um despite being a rug cruncher yes of course yeah your interest um, in rugs is purely academic purely academic <laughs> Um, but a couple of people said that they did see it on Instagram and bought it because they saw it on there. My friend Helena, for example, the yoga teacher, she said, I wanted that type specifically because I'd seen it on Instagram loads. I love this rug. Someone called Olivia messaged and said that they had the same rug as you, Alex. And they looked for ages and created mood boards and looked on Etsy. 
Um, a girl called Kaya said, I think it's basic, but it looks good and goes with everything. Also, I've had great sex on it multiple times. Oh, well done, Kaya. It does look very soft, yeah. It's very very soft on the knees. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it is, Alex. And then a, a mutual friend of ours, Lauren Bravo, said, I am a rug sheep, although mine is unique because mine has a giant coffee stain in the middle, which I feel like is probably comes with the territory, right, of having a big white rug. Yeah. Yes, certainly. Yeah, a big a big brown coffee stain or a big red wine stain. I myself own zero rugs because I think we might remember from a very early episode of Dumb Women where you guys came around and met my dog. <gasps> the the dog, why does my dog have worms? Yes, I believe like that. the yes. title of the episode Why are worms the free pet that come with my dog? Yes. <laughs> what do, why does she Oh, does she rub herself along it? No, she rubbed her worms on it. Yeah, we had Whoa. a lovely rug in the front room in the old flat and um she took a dump on it as a as a very small puppy as puppies are allowed to do. And obviously like having a rug with pets anyway is a bit of a danger zone because even though she's housebroken, there's always a risk that she might just, you know, plan a revenge poo while we have the indecency to have sex one day and leave her out of it and um <laughs> yeah but this day there was like yeah worms crawling out of the poo and it was on the rug and it was crawling Yay! into the rug and i haven't owned a rug since no <laughs> oh my god yeah an awful day for rugs everywhere really bad day for rugs everywhere but hannah i'm really fascinated by this whole th- this is this is tapping into a much bigger thing i think which is that obviously there have always been, you know, interior design trends. Um, I'm going to talk about it in my sort of section in a bit. Mm. But I think because like a, a few things have sort of coalesced together to make a very interesting movement, which is that A of all social media. So we're seeing inside each other's homes more than ever. Yeah. In a way that we just wouldn't have before. And before the way that we would look at homes would be in like interior design magazines um, or like famous people getting a spread for hello or something or like TV. Do you know what I mean? But now we have more of an idea of how the everyday person decorates their home. And I feel like there's more interiors inspiration around. Yeah, I feel like there's more inspiration, but there's also probably people feel a bit more pressure to like have a nice looking home because they maybe they want to put pictures of it up. And so I, I wonder how much that comes into it too, that you see the rug or like the scallop chair on someone's Instagram, maybe on an Ontario's Instagram, maybe just in someone's house that you like. And you're kind of like, oh, do you know what? Like I could, yeah, I could do one of those and it would like bring me up a level in terms of like the housing space. So true. So true. Because yeah, like, yeah. there's like, there's more, there's more housing inspiration around than ever, than ever, but it's actually the parameters feel much narrower, if you know what I mean. It feels like yeah. we're all looking after this like very specific look. It's kind of quite feminine. It's like generally like the, the millennial pink is always there. Um, There's like a lot of like, um, rose goldy brassy interiors like uh yeah stupid... wooden floors stop seeing inside my room <laughs> <laughs> lots of house plants lots yeah of house i'm looking plants. at yeah oh my god i'm gonna that's i'm scrapping it i'm a sheep <laughs> no not at all i think it's there's it, no bad thing to just live within a time and for that time to have a specific sort of design and aesthetic i think that's just yeah being alive isn't it but it's just really interesting isn't it yeah, and like 70s, mid-century wooden furniture is kind of coming back as well. Oh my God, yes. My, so I'm moving in November and my entire it's un, an unfurnished um, flat and uh, my entire eBay is just sort of 70s hardwood furniture, <laughs> air coal, yes. G-plan. I'm looking at thing. one of those as well. 
so a mutual a mutual friend of ours, Lauren Bravo, she she has the rug with the coffee stain, like I said. She said, I spent ages trying to find something that we liked that wasn't that rug, but it was just the only thing I could picture working in our dining room. Probably trendy brainwashing. We have really loud wallpaper, so it needs to be something fairly neutral, but I didn't want something totally plain, which I think kind of sums up like why the rug works so well. Like it is it is completely neutral but not totally plain. Yeah, and like also, goes with everything. It's the genes of the rug world. Oh, it's the genes of the rug world. Very good. Because if you wore a blue pair of trousers with a, like trousers with anything, it's it's like, oh, the it blue only goes with certain things. But if you wear blue jeans, you can wear them with absolutely anything. Why? It makes no sense. They're it still doesn't blue. Make sense, does it? Yeah. But it's like the rug, it's patterned. It is got it's got two colors in it, but it's the neutral goes with everything. Yeah, rug. it's got a little something, but not not too much. Exactly. It's got a bit of sass, yeah. but it, it blends in. You'll never know it was there. It's like you that massive dad know. sketch with the um, Ikea sort of round Exactly, yes. Lights. I was thinking about that the other day, and I can't remember who did it. But yeah, it's massive dad, isn't it? They talk yeah. about the big kind of spherical Ikea paper. Is it Ikea? Paper yeah, lampshade. Yeah. Paper lampshade that is just in every house and you never notice it. Yeah, 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 completely. Um, And then the next thing that Lauren said to me was, which I thought was interesting and kind of sent me off on a whole other thing, was she was like, oh God, are you going to tell me I'm being culturally appropriative like for owning this rug? And I was like, "Mm, it's, I don't think it is culturally appropriative. I mean, it's- what culture? Basically, lady culture? No, well, like, so the rug is actually originally a Moroccan design. There's this um, group of tribes that live in the North Atlas Mountains, um, one of which is called the Beni Oran tribe. Um, and they've been making these rugs like they, you know, they initially made the design. Uh, they've been making them for like thousands of years, probably, or, you know, ages. And typically they're made from sheep's wool and they're handmade. And the design's kind of a little bit wonky because they don't have, they don't work off of like, like, yeah, a, like a grid or anything. They're handmade. Like you kind of, you do a, do a line and it might be straight or it might be a bit wonky. And that's kind of like the beauty of it. So, you know, the, these rugs have been made um, in Morocco for absolutely ages. But I think a lot of people think that it's like a Scandi thing because it's very kind of clean and minimalist. And like mm. I was actually at dinner the other day with a friend and she was like, yeah, I really want one of those Scandi rugs that's like white with the with the black diamond shapes. And I was like, no way. This You're is talking about the like, rug. This is the rug. Wow. And then, and then, like how it kind of came into like the Western world, I guess, was actually um, really interesting too. Because I kind of assumed that you know, in the last ten years, someone went to Morocco and was like, "This is cool. Like, let's get it on Instagram." Um, but actually, they've been really popular since the nineteen twenties. That's a oh, hundred years. Wow. So it's coming back in. It's coming back in, yeah. But basically, like, uh, this French architect, Le Corbusier, used them in his designs, which are very kind of modern um, and, like, you know, slightly controversial. And he'd kind of use them to, like, offset how austere his interiors were. So you kind of have, like, the warmth of the material um, and the kind of, like, you know, slightly loopy patterns and... And that was kind of how they became popular in in the West. I mean, it's it's a stupid way to describe it, isn't it? Because it's like these these rugs existed before they turned up in the UK. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting conversation, I think, because like I I, I think I heard I, I read something the other day that somebody had written about cultural appropriation, and she said it was like all of these conversations about um, cultural appropriation, comma, none of them satisfying. Because it's one of these things where it's like, you can see so many angles with it all the time and it never quite squares the circle, does it? Because it's this thing where it's yeah. like, 
okay, there's obviously like tribes and cultures and, and groups of people who have invented this design and who aren't getting paid for it because it's been like, you know, marketed by Ikea now or whatever. Um, mm. But then also, because so there's that, which is blatantly unfair, but then there's also this kind of thing like, well, when something sort of existed long enough, when does it just become part of the common culture? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's the kind of the line between inspiration and ripping someone off. Yeah, and, and I don't um, think anyone truly knows where that line is. I think there are some really interesting and blatant cases, particularly you get it with... Um, like Aboriginal tribes and um, First Nations tribes who create like these incredible patterns in their like garments, and then you see it in Zara like the next year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I think that the first kind of um, thing that made me realize what a cultural appropriation even was was when people were starting to wear like Native American feather headdresses at music festivals. And yeah. everyone was like, look, you're not using it for the thing that it was intended for. You're completely dissociating it from its actual meaning. And that's like, you know they are really meaningful actually and you're just kind of like dancing to wearing it it's really interesting isn't it because and this is like just a bigger conversation about about that anyway where it's like like for take for example i'm gonna take a random example and i don't know why i've landed on this like gwen stefani when she got into her harajuku girls phase right yeah right like that struck i mean looking at that whole phase now it's like that seems extremely like appropriative and a little bit fetishistic about sort of Japanese culture it was just a little odd but then yeah. like on the other hand it's like you know we don't know like Gwen Stefani is just appreciating this thing that she genuinely likes it's an aesthetic she enjoys you know she ha- she was paying those girls to hang out with her all the time it made people all over the world like know what Harajuku was and know that it was a neighborhood in Japan so on the and on that hand it's like okay well people now know about this because of her so it's like I don't know I find it yeah. a very interesting kind of very brain itching conversation brain itching it is isn't it yeah i think something interesting i found out as well was that um in in morocco they don't just use like the the benioran tribe that you know tribes that make the rug they don't actually just use them as rugs like they'll often use them as like a shawl or like a blanket for sleeping and stuff like that and because one of the sides is kind of smoother and then the other side has the sort of like the loose pile i don't know what you call it like the shaggy rug thing um you can kind of like swap it over and if you want it to be warmer then you can put like the shaggy side around you um and if it's like summer and it's quite hot you can like sleep on the smooth side I thought it was quite good. What a good, yeah. good rug. I'm going to go to the mountains now with my rug. Yeah, exactly. Well, then that was, that was the other thing that I was thinking about, because obviously, like, I've, I've been Googling these rugs a lot. And there's so many, there's some, so many really cheap, like, ripoffs that look identical to the kind of, you know, original rugs that you would pay almost a grand for, probably. Um, certainly, like, 600, 700 pounds, I think, if you went to, you know, went to Morocco and bought them. And, like... I think that bothers me a lot more than, you know, sort of someone buying the rug and not quite knowing where it's from or whatever. It's the mm. idea that, you know, and it's it happens, you know, this is not an original conversation. <laughs> this happens um, in every, you know, industry and with every possible item that someone will design something and then a big company will see it, rip it off and mm. start selling it for cheaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like, it, you know, being mad at it is a bit like being mad against, like, the flow of water a little bit. You're like, yeah, it's like, it's going to yeah, keep flowing, like, you know? That's capitalism. That, that's I was about to say, yeah, I was about to say, like, in The Shining, that's capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's not necessarily my place to say whether this is cultural appropriation or not, but to me, these rugs are made 
to be sold. They're not made sort of to be used for something else, like used for a religious blessing or something like that. Um, they are made to be used as rugs, or like I said, as shawls or kind of bedding. And that's what we do with them. And kind of also doing all this research about the rugs made me really want one of the rugs. <laughs> I want one of the rugs. It sounds so cozy. Get the rugs. <laughs> yeah. And also rugs. like if you get, if you get, you know, an original handmade one, then um, there's lots of, I don't know, there's, there's just like the nice kind of like handmade differences in each of the rugs. Like none of the designs, in, in theory, none of the designs are identical to each other because they've all got, you know, like a little different pattern in them or whatever. And and some of the patterns as well, like are really meaningful and they mean, you know, peace or fertility or whatever it is. Mm. So yeah, that's my plan. When the pandemic is done, I'm going to head over to the North Atlas Mountains. Excellent. Aww. I can see you there. And uh, with, with all of my savings in the world. <laughs> this is very and, uh, Hannah Varel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very on brand. Buy myself a rug. Live amongst the wolves. Yeah. So Caroline, instead of smashing the glass ceiling this week, you're trying to build one for a reasonable cost. (laughs) (laughs) I'm building a glass ceiling for a reasonable cost and maybe, just maybe, it'll add value to my 1998 home. Oh, I'm intrigued. This week I'm talking about conservatories of course you are of course i am such a good segment topic what the fuck is that about what the fuck i think it's so i i I really enjoy the sort of like the vague theme of this week's uh episode because i think what we're really talking about is trends why things become trends and the sort of inexplicable sort of bafflement you feel when you look back on a trend and be like why did we all do that Mm, yes Where did that come from? What are they conserving? What are they conserving? I'm actually thinking about it now. I don't know anyone that's had one built in the last sort of 10 years. No, of course you haven't. No, nobody has. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I remember, like, I remember really, really clearly growing up in the 90s and early noughties and, like, because I grew up on quite, like, a sort of an upwardly mobile suburban street and, um everyone getting conservatories and or like vague extensions like mm, yes. I, I think and this has been confirmed to me by a few interior design blogs I've been reading this morning um, that in the 90s and in, in the 80s and 90s there was an obsession with adding more rooms onto your house but I feel like people still have extensions quite a lot but never a conservatory yes I feel like a kind of a, a sort of a loft con- conversion may still happen once mm, in a blue basements. moon basements the super rich are all doing basements, aren't they? And, and like sub-basements. Or with like drop-down pools. Yeah. Yes. And mm. I think um, I think converted sheds is the thing now. Yes. I think now if you're, if you're middle class and you want to add, add value slash make your neighbours jealous, you have like um, a shed that's actually, it's called like, oh, this is dad's bar and it's called McGinty's. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh God, yes. yes. <laughs> We're a fake pub that a man has. With a little sign from Etsy that's uh, yeah. Yeah, nailed to the wall. Yeah, yeah. My parents um, had a conservatory put onto our family home in 2001. I checked the date with them because you were like, it was late 90s. And I was like, hmm, yeah. Interesting. And what do you remember about it? Oh, it was brilliant because the builders had to come and like, there was a sort of weird, like, I don't even know what to call it, like a courtyard area 
with an old toilet in it that was just full of spiders, like a like a sort of outside toilet. Yes, I know this feeling very well. Yes. Yeah, this so mood. that all got knocked down. Ah, so you were so you were living in Victorian England, Hannah. <laughs> I think we all knew that deep down. Apparently so. I mean we didn't use the toilet. We had toilets inside too. <laughs> he posh bitch. Really exciting. But um yeah, no, it's great. They um they knocked that down, they built the conservatory and now we have um reams and reams of bees uh getting stuck in the conservatory every summer and this is like you know this is quite tangential but my theory is that the decline in bee population is directly linked to the um to the popularity of conservatories oh my god it, you're so right oh my nan's my house god had so many bee and fly swatters one of those oh by the way always like rattan furniture um and what's, what's rattan and, do you mean that kind of like bamboo-y type like yes yes yeah. of course it is caroline because that's exactly what you pictured when i said rattan and conservatory <laughs> i've never heard that word but yet i knew exactly yeah, it's like on the or something i knew exactly what oh, you meant <laughs> imagine your your childhood there's like some rattan furniture with a floral cushion on it um, oh my god and then, yeah and then there's a fan going and one of those old lady sort of not curtains but like you know sh- sheets of beads that you go you, into the Do you remember like when Sheets you'd be walking beads. yeah when you'd be walking down like a suburban street that was clearly like coming up in the world or whatever and it would just be skips with rattan furniture in it yes with like a wicker chair with a hole in it yes. <laughs> just sitting on top of the skip <laughs> yeah what's happened to that chair <laughs> there's so much i know i remember we had one of those in our house and it just it kept revolving around to different rooms like everybody had to have a tenure with a chair <laughs> yes yes until it finally was cast out onto the street or in these days it would be on facebook marketplace for three pounds yeah absolutely mm. or just someone to pick it up because nobody gets skips anymore yeah nobody gets skips anymore because they have facebook marketplace and like free cycle yeah it's true we are each other's skip wow my dad said that the other day he was like you never see a skip anymore you never <laughs> see a skip my mum used to love going through a skip yeah but I back to conservatories. I clearly remember, like in the um, like I think probably around the same era, two thousand one, two thousand two, of like our next door neighbours, the O'Callaghans, who were very chic, um, and they built a conservatory and like everyone from the neighbourhood like taking it in turns to go over and see it because like they could only really invite one couple over at a time mm. to like really maximise on it and then just sort of chilling out and being like, this is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> they are lovely, aren't they? I mean, I know that we're kind of making fun of them here, but they're they're nice. It's nice to kind of sit semi inside, semi outside, and like you get some sun, and you can open the windows, and you get to swat all the bees away. The only thing I would say is that they they do seem like a great idea, and and what you're describing seems great. But actually, what happens is it's too hot in summer and fucking freezing in the winter. Exactly, there is that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's basically, I think the the time to use a conservatory is um like April 20th to May yes. 17th. <laughs> Correct. And then, and then like September the 10th till October yeah. the 2nd. So we're oh in conservatory season. We're conservatory season right now. <laughs> oh my God, peak. We're at peak. I don't know anyone with one though. <laughs> no, no, God. Um, and yeah, and I think you're so right, Hannah, about the bees thing, because like it always, here's the thing. 
let me walk it back. There's nothing more beautiful or glamorous than the O'Callaghan's with a new conservatory. Do you know what I mean? They're <laughs> yeah, like, course, yeah. everything's so shiny and white. Everything's new. Maybe there's like a stack of board games um, underneath the glass yeah. table. Oh, God. This is such specific <laughs> memories. Yes. Right. And like new furniture and like lots of like healthy plants. And it smells kind of green and lemony. And you feel like really safe and it feels exotic. And But then what happens is because like the conservatory home is generally the home that builds conservatory is a suburban house that maybe has like two to four kids in it and maybe a pet and like they're just yeah. trailing in and out and the conservatory was built to be like a, a place of peace where your mum can read her magazine <laughs> that is so true and, and then what happens is like people trail in and out through the back door or whatever and it gets yeah. really filthy and like bees go in there to die and <laughs> it's a bee cemetery. It's a bee. It's a bee cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> or like well, my favorite thing in the world, which which is, and I I've used this in my writing a lot for people who are hardcore Caroline Dunn who stands. Um, yeah, but of the half dead bee. <laughs> Mm. Like I love the half dead bee just struggling around a window pane, just kind of mostly crawling on the floor. He's too fat to move, and like you think he's dead, and then you poke him, and it's like. Yes, I have to say I went to my parents' house the other day and rescued a half dead bee by giving it some uh, sugar water and felt very proud. Oh wow, you're like a child from a book. Oh, you know Roddy, the the bee Batman. expert, the Batman, of course. Uh, not bee expert, bat yeah, bat expert, Batman that came on the podcast. I was on a bike ride with him in Hampstead Heath over lockdown, and he revived a bee with like a natural sugar that we found because we found a dying bee. He's basically he's basically David what? Attenborough. Oh my god, someone date Roddy? He's so hot. Yeah, I know he's he is hot and single ladies so get in touch get in touch jesus yeah um never you'll never see anything die around him <laughs> no we'll always make such a concentrated effort to to save the small winged animal um <laughs> yeah what so what i find really so the thing i think my conversation here isn't really about why are conservatories but more why are conservatories so funny to me <laughs> Because, yeah, because I think it is like you say. It's like that sort of suburban dream yeah. of like essentially having a huge sort of Crystal Palace style greenhouse, but it's like <laughs> it's just you're you're just encroaching onto your garden. And I feel like people in this day and age are like uh, are just sort of like I may as well just have the garden. Yeah, I might <laughs> as well exactly just have the garden. And there's yeah, there's something about the suburban dream because I think that's why it's like I think if you grew up in the suburbs, you'll always find them kind of funny because they're just such a kind of um, a weird place where people take big dreams and then they make them as small as they possibly can make them, but still keep them a dream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, we, we would all watch um, Cribs and be like, wow, imagine if you had like a home cinema and then your parents metabolize it as, but what if we had the largest TV in the smallest room? <laughs> Well, what if we got a projector? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's very hipster, the projector thing. I didn't know anyone growing up who had a projector. Did you? I have a friend who had a projector. Yeah. But in a very retro way. Hear me out. Fish yeah. tank. Fish <laughs> tank is such a suburban dream. <laughs> so Everyone funny. knows someone that had a fish tank with an exotic fish. Oh, my God. Yeah. A dad who was into fish is such a weird vibe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, agreed. Always a dad into fish. 
Yeah. Um, I also had, um, there was people on our road who had a waterbed. Oh, cool. oh yes, yeah. I remember when this first became a thing. Yes, and I, re- I just remember, like, because I grew up on one of those roads where everyone was kind of within, you know, two to five years of each other. But the boy, the older boys on the road, just absolutely ripping into the lads whose parents had a waterbed because it became this byword for the mum just being a massive slag. Kinky sex, yes! <laughs> <laughs> it did, it really did. Oh my god, somebody write a book about all of these, I would buy it. And and just, and just like it. suburban signifiers, yes. they're so funny. And I remember like that same woman, God love her. Um, there was like all these rumours going around about how many vibrators and dildos she owned and all yeah, the boys yeah. would lie about all the vibrators and dildos they found in her house. <laughs> and also, um, for some reason, like some people, this is a really extreme one, but some people would have like the equivalent of like a suit of armour in their house. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know that one. That's no, it's much more rare, but it would be something like that. You know, like as if you were in the castle, but actually you're in like a two up, two down in Reading. But like, oh yeah, there was a few, a few people that I know that had that. Or or my other favourite thing, I, I love this. I, we've talked about this in our episode on hamsters before, but I find like the rodent pet very funny. Like just yes. because it's just like not really a pet. <laughs> it's just and, like yeah. my favorite thing is like um when people have that small like utility room with like a dryer and like the cleaning products, but also there's a guinea pig in there. <laughs> just like on top of the <laughs> yeah. dryer in a cage. Oh yeah, no, you have to keep the guinea pig like on display. It has to, it's a, that's a living room pet, surely. No, I know I knew a lot of um utility rooms that had rodents in it, personally oh. speaking. I know, it's very sad. Um so the conservatory things, when I, obviously it's very hard to research conservatories because if you write like conservatories, history, they just give you like a history of like musical conservatories. <laughs> and it's like, no, oh, difficult. Yeah. But I did find some stuff and like the, what, the kind of umbrella term, because there's all different kinds of things. There's like a solarium, an orangery, and conservatory is just part of it. But for some reason, the thing that middle class UK and Ireland latched onto mm. most was the word conservatory. Um... But there's all these blogs, and they make me laugh so much, that are basically like, the headline on all of them might as well be, so you have a conservatory. (laughs) (laughs) What next? (laughs) Yeah, here's here's, um, an extract from uh, createarchitecture.com. The conservatories of the 1980s and 90s promised a lot, but didn't quite deliver. If you have... Amazing. If you have one attached to your house, attached to your house. As if it's like as if it's got there by itself. As if it's a tumor. Yeah. <laughs> if you if a conservatory has chosen you. Exactly. It's like if if there's a wasp nest in your attic that you did nothing yeah. to deserve but are stuck with anyway. If one has chosen to feed from you. Yeah, exactly. If it feeds off the lifeblood of your family, there are solutions. Yeah. Um, if you've attached one to your house, it could be transformed into a valuable asset that works for the way you live now. <laughs> right. I love because obviously these were sold in as being a valuable asset for the way they lived then. But it's like, no. <laughs> oh, God. Has the way we live changed that much? Has the from since the 90s? Hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess in some ways. Yeah. I think I know speaking personally, like a lot of them. I mean, and I'm saying this personally, it's the word personally, because I think that Ireland is about five years behind most things. <laughs> um, right. But when I was growing up, most of the mums on my road still worked, didn't work. They were still at home or they had part time jobs in shops, but they spent the bulk of their time in the house. And I definitely think the conservatory was created as being like 
mum's paradise and mum's break away from her horrible children. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, my my parents, like the conservatory that um, we have at my parents' house is uh, just on the side of the kitchen and it's basically the dining room. So I feel like I have a slightly different view of what conservatories are meant to achieve. Yes. And so tell me now, is um, your conservatory, is it, is it um like glass roof glass all around or is every is every single like wall glass or is there one that's um, like normal? No, so the, the, so there's like a sloping roof which is glass and then like like the top half of the wall is is window and the bottom half of the wall is I don't know brick or whatever. Yeah, there's always a small brick wall. Yeah, with like a planter on the outside. Yeah. Okay, I think that's quite classic. But the thing that I find quite creepy about it is that if you're having dinner in there at night and you've got the lights on because you want to see your food, then you're essentially like a beacon for any, yeah. any neighbours that overlook <laughs> you. A <laughs> beacon? Yeah, it's just like spotlight. <laughs> they can just look straight into your, like you're the Sims or something. Like they've got that perfect angle. Like you're to, their Sims. So true. Like, like to watch you eating your um, shepherd's pie. And also whatever. if you have all the lights on in a glass room, you're basically looking at the reflection of yourself eating most of the time, aren't you really? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly. I thought that's what your your thing was going to be, yeah. Hannah. Just like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing worse than like having a mirrored surface near where you're eating. You're so dis- you're so aware of your chin. I find. Yeah. You're like, yeah. why would anyone ever eat dinner with me? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you think. Like, why has anyone ever put up with going on a date with me? I'm a, oh, no, I'm a monster. monster. Yeah. <laughs> Masticating. Um. But. Also, I've, I I did find in my research that the reason that the the conservatory boom happened in the eighties and nineties was because double glazing became widely available. <gasps> oh, wow, yeah. that makes sense. I feel like there's no more like nineties term than double glazing. I feel like my Dude, entire that's childhood, so funny. yeah, just walking into rooms where adults were saying the phrase double glazing and never quite knowing what it meant. <laughs> And yeah, and just being like, oh, and, we, and uh, Sharon can't come out this weekend because she's getting double glazing. Yes. Yes. Like, so she, yeah. So it's a, it's a big thing. Like, oh, Sharon and Dave are getting double glazing on their house. Yeah, completely. So I think, I, I do think that the, what fascinates me so much about suburbia in general is that like, because you've got all these, if, any kind of suburban street, you've got people who are like basically within the same age and income bracket. And back when we were growing up, and generally, I don't know if it's the same now, people knew each other, people hung out. If your mum was going out, someone else would pop in and have a look at you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like there was kind of a community sense, but you've got all these people in the same age bracket and income bracket having kids at the same time. And this sort of keeping up with the Joneses thing and the idea of these things, these crazes sort of sweeping through street after street, you know, like conservatories and pool tables and like huge TVs. And I just find it very cute. Yeah, I love the it. The whole thing. Because you don't, as soon as you think of your mum in a conservatory, she immediately has big glasses and 80s hair. She doesn't have, like, anything modern. <laughs> like a floral dress, smock. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of the same thing that we were talking about um, at the beginning, right? Of, like, you know, the way it works these days is that you see someone's house on Instagram and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I guess I could get that rug. Whereas, you know, in the sort of 90s, like with the conservatory craze, it was like, oh, you go around for a cup of tea and some shortbread at Linda's place. Yeah. And you're like, hmm, Linda's got a conservatory now. Yeah. Yeah, it was that. We just all we just all want to be as identical to each other as we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. We all want what Linda down the road has. And these days it's a rug and it used to be the conservatory. 
It's very true. I feel like that's kind of a metaphor as well for like homeowning and <laughs> so true. We're all just like, well, I can afford a rug. Whereas, you know, the equivalent us of 20 years ago might have been like, I can afford a conservatory. Yeah, the average conservatory cost £30,000. Oh, maybe yeah, not. Like, maybe not then. The fact yeah. that people were just shelling this shit out. Yeah, no, no that's what I mean. Is that like, it, it's completely um, an, an appropriate metaphor because back then that's the kind of expendable income these middle class families had. Do you know exactly. Mean? Now it's a rug. Now it's a rug. <laughs> Fucking rug. Um, and also, I was just thinking it's the ultimate like and subscribe, isn't it? Like wanting to be Linda down the road. <laughs> It's like, oh, I like her thing, and now I've, and now I've bought it. I've liked subscribed. <laughs> I've liked it, now I've subscribed. Forever. It's now time for our smart lesson to finish off the podcast, uh, and that is a segment in which we try to learn something about being... Uh, better versions of ourselves because being a woman is all about constant self-improvement and so Alex this week you are leading the smart lesson um, about skincare that's right guys Uh, the smart lesson this week is how to have luminous skin whilst in a global pandemic Um, Mm. because you know I don't want you to forget that the main thing we are judged on is the luminosity of your skin uh, and not, you know, being able to pay rent, staying sane, or even alive in the year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> it's about having lovely skin. So um, I just want to, before I sort of tell you why you're wrong, um, I just want to hear about what your sort of skincare routines are at the moment. Because as we know, a skincare routine is more important than finding a life partner. Mm. So. My current skincare routine is that I have a scab on my face and I keep picking it. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> routinely routinely yeah i got thrown off my bike the other day oh, oh. i know it was awful oh, sorry this is a complete segue but more i just want to talk about me being thrown off my bike <laughs> um no, I, I got thrown off my bike when i was cycling it was really painful but like i'd forgotten i haven't had this many scabs now since i was about seven yeah scabs are a real throwback i forgot Dreamy. what it's like to have scabs man and i've got a massive one on my chin i look like i have a soul patch like i'm in the backstreet boys and <laughs> my skincare routine is just softly picking off the flaking crust <laughs> mm, that's hot mm, you love it hannah what is yours um i wash my face probably like every three days i wash it every i wash it twice a day just with water and a hot cloth Oh um, yeah! Ooh. Ever since, basically, when I was a teenager and I was spotty, I tried every Clearasil clean and clear under the sun. Alex, you've been in a clean and clear advert, by the way. Don't let, don't let oh. people forget. Oh my god, I'm not mad about you. That's so funny. Yes. <laughs> if you Google Clearasil minerals advert, I think it comes up, and I'm pretending to be 21, but I was in fact 25. <laughs> Genius. But basically, yeah, me and my brother, who was on the spot adventure with me, discovered that actually the best, the, the thing that clears up spots best for, for me and him anyway, is like to not use products and just kind of use hot water. And yeah. And you've stayed that way ever since. Absolutely. And then recently I've been getting like a lot of chin spots from masks possibly, but also oh, yeah. from just eating too much sugar. Yeah, I'm also having a chin spot moment. But in, in general, you guys know that I've been complaining about my skin for absolutely years and I've, I, mm. I've had really bad problems with spots and that kind of thing. Genuinely really bums me out. Um, but then the pandemic hit and I, I've literally been like trying so many different products and doing the water thing and like cutting out stuff from my diet, all that stuff. 
And then the pandemic hit and I stopped wearing makeup and it instantly got better. Wow, yes. Oh, really? So annoying. Yeah. Like, I, like, cause I really like makeup. I just really enjoy putting it on. I like, it. I like shopping for it. I like all of it. And I stopped using it and now my skin looks fine. <laughs> You're really just going to have to capitalize heavy on the eyes and lips. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Maybe some neck adornment. <laughs> neck, yeah. Shade the neck. Yeah. Shade, Shade the, the neck. neck. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys moisturize? I do. Yes, yeah. I'm. I'm older than time now, Hannah. So I must moisturize. No, because I've I've been moisturizing for um, I don't know, probably like ten years or something now. And and sometimes something comes up, and I'm and someone's like, "Oh, should I moisturize?" And I'm like, "Oh, I can't really imagine not yeah, doing." Yeah, I I think I've been moisturizing since I was about twelve. Yeah, like, like a, a simple bottle of moisturizer. Remember those? Yes. Oh, I still use simple. Oh, do you? Well, not for everything. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, don't worry, guys, because I've got six or seven brilliant tips to make you have brilliant, luminous, luminous skin throughout the pandemic. Because remember that if you don't get people replying to your Instagram stories saying, what are you doing with your skin, then you're a worthless piece of shit. Oh, sure. Oh, no. So, I know. Look, I don't want this for any of us. So that's why I've compiled this handy <laughs> guide. Um, so you can, I'm going to go with the most relatable one first. Um, you can spend eight months rent on a spa weekend, um, or a facial with a West London postcode. Mm. Um, now this will do it very instantly. Um, they are sort of obviously three to four thousand pounds, I think, but magazines still talk as if, and have like specific spa guides as if people are just like, oh my God, which spa should I go to this month? Um, I always think that when you see like influencers having facials and they're like, yeah, you should go to this place. And it's just like, who out of real people, who actually does that? Nobody. Sorry. Us. I think nobody. Women. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, the whole facial thing. I don't think it's a thing. I just don't believe in it. I don't believe in a thing. Mm. I think they work if you get them every three days. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was um, watching, I was reading this article on Allure.com. Um, and there was this beauty journalist and she was like, I got a facial every week for two months and here are the effects. And I was like, literally squinting so hard, my eyes fell back into my skull. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't see the difference. It was like, she had a bit of acne scar- scarring and kind of greasy skin before. And she had a bit of acne scarring and kind of greasy skin after. I was like, what, a, what am I yeah. looking at? We have filters for this shit now. Okay. Yeah. You don't need to be your real self anymore until you die. Um, okay, so, you know, if, if that's too expensive for you, you can utilise the things in your cupboard for a DIY facial. You know, you've seen these. Um, like Nutella, because obviously nuts have natural oils, which are great for the skin. So just mm. slather some Nutella on your face. It's very cooling as well. Mm. Very lovely texture. Um, or, you know, that one calorie frying oil, because you don't want anything high calorie on your face in <laughs> no. case it adds weight to your face. Certainly not. Um, so just simply spray that just on. Just a light lovely. spritz, yeah? Yeah, a light spritz as well. It's designed for the face. You just spritz it on. <laughs> Um, you know, because those posh bottles of olive oil, they're going to drip all over you. And, uh, yeah. You know. yeah, you, you want know, I've heard of... they make those in the same factory as they do those Evian facial sprays anyway. So Exactly. You want sort of, yeah, you want like fry light or fry you like, you know, anything like that. Just simply spray it on and go to sleep. Maybe with your head in some kind of pillowcase to really sort of wrap in the moisture. Nice. Yes, yeah. a silk pillowcase where the silkworms are still partially alive and you can hear them screaming. Yes, of Ooh. course. <laughs> Just to make you aware of how much you're sacrificing for your skin. What about um, like butter? Yeah, that will work. I don't. I still don't quite understand why that doesn't. Why that's not a thing. Well, it is now, Hannah. Slather okay, the butter good. on. Must be salted. 
you need the salts for your skin. Oh, you could use exfoliating butter with the, you know, that precedent butter that has salt bits in it. Ooh, there you go. That sounds lush. Mm. Another tip for your photos, throw out all of the lights you own and replace them with those sort of Instagram halos um, just to make your, your skin look, you know, sort of mm. glowing. Essentially, glowing and being having dewy skin isn't yeah. enough anymore. Your skin needs to be dripping with dew. Okay, it needs to be wet. Wet, slimy skin. It needs to look like you've just got out of a wet cloud. That's what you want. I think also um, consider sort of um, including acids in your um, in your Yes, routine. that is true. Battery, I like. Battery acid, <laughs> yep. You can take acid, an acid tab. Yeah. That will help you. You will feel, you'll, everyone will look nice if you take that. That's a, that's a really good point, Caroline. Thank you. I have to say, I did use um, like a chemical exfoliating mask and uh, I got that and put it on my face and it was bright red. Yeah. And it was terrifying. That, that, see, if, you, if you told that to someone who actually gives a shit about skincare, they would tell you that's how you know it's working. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like Man. it was quite painful and hot. No, thank you. Bye. I didn't even keep it on for as long as it said to. If your head is 30% smaller after you've used it, then you're doing it right. <laughs> Uh, and last but not least, no fun. Don't smile, don't laugh, don't move your face in any way. Okay, because that's just going to, it's going to create lines, it's going to look like you've had a life, and we don't want that. No. Yeah, and if you if you smile, it's like you don't care about politics and what's going on in the world anyway. Yeah, so, yeah you know, exactly. How dare you? What about Myanmar, you smiling fuck? You know, <laughs> that sort of... You're a heartless bitch. So uh, that, that's my skincare tips for you all. Please do let me know how you get on. Uh, I want to sleep for 14 hours a night. Only wake up to pee and scream. Both at the same time. Don't waste any time now, ladies. <laughs> well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can hear more by searching School for Dumb Women on your favourite podcast app and following us on the usual social media platforms at Dumb Women Pod. You can also hear us on Soho Radio every other Thursday at 6pm. Thanks to Gavin Day for our artwork, Harry Harris for our jingles, and Soho Radio Studios. And goodbye, smiling bitches. Bye. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm not laughing. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia 
Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.